This is Dollars and Change, a podcast about the intersection of business and social impact. Brought to you by the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. Welcome to Dollars and Change. This is Catherine Klein. I'm the Vice Dean for Social Impact at Wharton. And uh, welcome to this podcast. I'm really looking forward to my conversation today with Roy Swan. Roy is Head of Mission Investments at the Ford Foundation. Thanks for joining us, Roy. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, great to have the opportunity to talk with you here. Thank you so much. So you have this very interesting position in as the Head of Mission Investments at the Ford Foundation, I think that for a lot of us, when we're thinking of uh, major grant makers and, and foundations, foundations as large as the, as the Ford Foundation, we may be thinking about who gets their support and who gives their support, who gives donations a little. Oh, there's a program staff or some of us know, a lot of us know Darren Walker. You have this really interesting role as head of mission investments. So what does that mean? What is it that you do? What are mission investments? Mission investments, and actually um, mission-related investments, is a technical term that refers to the use of endowment capital, which is subject to fiduciary rules and prudential investor standards. And basically what it means is an endowment can be invested uh, in an effort to achieve returns in line with its mission, or I should say differently, you can invest in line with your mission in order to achieve uh, returns. And and for the Ford Foundation, um, this was a decision that um, was announced in 2017 after long study. Ford Foundation is not the first foundation to implement a mission-related investment program, but it is the largest by far commitment of all foundations uh, at one billion uh, commitment of the endowment to be invested over a roughly uh, 10-year period or to be committed over roughly 10 years. So it is um, in our program, um, uh, Mission Investments basically is a program that um, it's unique among, I think, pretty much all foundations in that we have what I call, the, you know, the three capitalist tools of a foundation. We have grant capital, uh, mission-related investment capital, which we've mentioned, and then another animal or product called program-related investments, which uh, the Ford Foundation uh, played a hand in inventing that pro- product with uh, the IRS back in 1968. Program-related investments, to the best of my knowledge, come out of the 5% that foundations are required to donate each year. That's right. So that 5% IRS uh, rule, uh, foundations have to allocate at least 5% of their endowments every year uh, to maintain uh, compliance with their charitable status. Um, This great instrument called program-related investment invented by the Ford Foundation, the Taconic Foundation, and the IRS back in 1968 is this really great tool that can be used as catalytic capital. So it's technically grant capital that is allocated in the form or invested in the form of debt or equity. And you can generate returns, but they're 
the investments aren't made with the exclusive focus of generating uh, returns. Instead, um, they can help um, get markets started. They can um, help get organizations started in the early days. You know, I, I find the history fascinating. Uh, the Ford Foundation essentially developed the program-related investment tool to help stimulate black capitalism, which is interesting because back in the late 1960s, um, there was a movement in the government that recognized that, um, hey, maybe one of the reasons why people are protesting in the streets is because they don't feel like they are a part of the system. That is the capitalist system. And Nixon had a couple of what they call black capitalism programs to help make these um, folks who didn't feel like they're a part of the system, bring them into the system. And the Ford Foundation was an early supporter. And some of the early program-related investments were allocated to African-American-run venture capital firms, the first real estate uh, sort of strip mall owned by African-Americans. I mean, really some groundbreaking project. So I just find it, I could, I could go on and on. I, I just, I, I just so, feel like the tools that we have are just really powerful tools across the broad spectrum. So Roy, it's so fascinating that you draw our attention to the history of program-related investments dating back to the 1960s. You're talking about black capitalism. And I'm, you know, I'm sort of thinking, wow, deja vu all over again. And you're describing them as such powerful tools. And I get that. And yet, wow, we haven't come very far uh, or not nearly as as far as as we would, you know, we would like when we look at the, you know, the the household wealth gap between blacks and whites in this country. It's I mean, it's enormous. Um, so, you know, as you face the current moment and you think about the tools available and we'll stick with you to the tools available with you for you in this remarkable position within the Ford Foundation. How do you make sense of this? This combination of wow, we've had these powerful tools, and wow, there's such so much need. And I suppose, wow, what is the Ford Foundation going to do? Yeah. Um, so tools are only powerful when you use them. Hmm. And the great thing about the Ford Foundation is it has these tools, and it's using them, the capital tools. Now, there's another tool that we hope to be able to use. And that's the influence tool. And um, the reason why that tool is so important is because we have the wherewithal to solve many problems that exist. Uh, the reason why influence is important is we have to help those who um, understand our system see and acknowledge the flaws. And many may be stuck with, okay, what do I do now? And what one of the things that we hope to do is um, reach audiences of people who um, have the tools but don't know how to use them. And what we hope is that our work, which we uh, make as transparent as possible, and we will work a little bit harder on getting, um, making um, available to, to others uh, the work we do, the successes, the failures, so others can learn from it, is we hope to act as an example and to provide a roadmap of sorts 
uh, for those like-minded um, people um, uh, who, who want to help advance um, economic justice, social justice. So um, we have been very engaged in this. Um, we have designed program for our mission-related investment that has targeted a few uh, social areas where we think we can be impactful. Um, but you're right, we haven't um, come very far. In fact, in certain ways, we've, we've gone backwards. And particularly the status of African-Americans, um, I think over the last 20 years or so, uh, where it's the only demographic, the only uh, class uh, whose, uh, I think, wages have gone backwards um, uh, more so than, than other areas. So, uh, so what we hope to do is to use our tools as examples and to use our voice for influence. So let's talk about your, the influence uh, that you're exerting. And so one, one way the Ford Foundation exerts influence is by speaking out. One way you do this is by you know, helping to support those organizations, those nonprofits who are, that are getting your donations as a foundation. My sense is that you're, you're also talking about your influence over major financial institutions and where those financial institutions are investing and how they're investing. Um, is that when you think about your influence, am I, am I right? Is that is it when you think about, and when you were just speaking about the influence that you have within the Ford Foundation, influence, what, what kind of influence? Influence over whom? So, with the large organizations, um, we engage in a couple of different ways. Um, one is, you know, some are direct and some are indirect. Um, the, uh, both the direct and indirect might involve um, some of the many opportunities that our president, Darren Walker, has in the press, in the, uh, you know, in, in cable news, uh, where he spreads a message uh, that gets a pretty good audience. He's also, uh, Darren's also on a couple of corporate boards. Um, when it comes to our capital, one of the ways that we try to exert our influence is in the selection of investment managers. Um, as a part of our due diligence process, um, we make it... Um, uh, an important part of our discussions uh, to talk about the importance of, you know, diversity in our selection process. We like when managers have some diverse ownership. We like when teams have diversity in the senior ranks and decision-making areas. Um, and while it, it, we're, we're, we're honey, not vinegar uh, influencers, mm -hmm meaning that um, we try to convey our strong interest and at the same time discuss the benefits of diversity. And, you know, there are volumes, there's volumes of research out there about all the benefits of diversity. Um, and while we don't um, make diversity of staff or ownership an absolute requirement, um, what we found is that in the least diverse firms where we've had these conversations, um, we like to believe that our honey versus vinegar approach um, is what has led to our success there because we have indications of, of 
people who think different because of the questions we ask and because of the values that uh, we demonstrate in the way we approach business. The other, um, uh, the other sort of result I can, I can talk about is um, many people are aware of that statistic where of the 71 trillion in assets under management, um, roughly 1% of that is managed by firms uh, owned by women or people of color. And the bar is pretty low. So there's just a 25% standard for that. That research was done by both the U.S. General Accountability Office and uh, Professor Josh Lerner at Harvard Business School. And one of the things we do is, again, from a demonstration effect and influence, um, our capital has been allocated to firms that fit that definition at a rate of 57.7% roughly. So the market's at 1%. We're 50, so we outpace the market by roughly 51x. Huge. And um, we, we think that's a, 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 a good symbol, um, a strong showing that it is possible to find diverse managers to put your money to work under traditional fiduciary standards. Roy, your, uh, the Ford Foundation is in the news uh, just in the past few days for the announcement of a $26 million impact developers fund uh, that the Ford Foundation has created with Morgan Stanley and True Fund Financial Services. But what is this $26 million impact developers fund? What's it designed to do? So um, the, the fund is a collaboration um, that's designed to provide capital to what we call impact developers. And um, the primary focus there or the interest is that that fund will have proactive outreach to real estate development companies owned by women and people of color. And uh, when it comes to women, particularly women of color. And that fund was designed out of the recognition that in the affordable housing sector, which is another um, kind of area that we're focused on from a mission-related investments perspective because of the critical importance of, of housing as a, uh, as a social benefit and or need and the drastic shortage. In the affordable housing sector, as 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 is reflected in the entire real estate sector, but in affordable housing, which serves largely black and brown communities in the U.S., there are very few black and brown developers. Um, and so you kind of have a bit of a plantation mentality, almost one can say, where you've got um, an overwhelming majority of white male developers creating products serving black and brown developers, uh, excuse me, uh, residents. And um, there are reasons why, many reasons why there aren't many black or brown developers. Much of it has to do with the same lack of access to capital that was demonstrated by that 1% statistic of assets under management. If you look at another simple gauge, and it's hard to get this data outside of some specific programs, but in SBA loan programs, 
Uh, African-Americans are lucky if they get 2% of total value of SBA programs. That's value the number small business administration, the U.S. Small Business Administration has um, uh, under its uh, has, has, has capital available and guarantees available for small business loans. And um, um, it's just a part of the outgrowth. It's the consequences of structural systemic racism, bias, whatever it is. There's no family and friends capital available because family and friends don't have any money either, right? In, in the black community and, and much of the brown community. So, so this fund, um, it's sort of a, um, uh, a way to look at a, a demand opportunity, a supply demand mismatch. And um, it's come together in a way where you have a nonprofit community development financial institution managing a private equity fund to deliver capital to uh, uh, largely to diverse real estate developers um, to help them strengthen their balance sheets and make them more attractive partners for both banks that provide financing to projects and the municipalities that help select entities to develop the projects. One of the things that's important to both banks and municipalities is the financial strength of the developer because you want the projects to get completed. So uh, this private equity fund uh, will, will serve that goal by helping developers providing access to capital technical assistance, and really, which really boils down to being balance sheet optimization, uh, meaning what's the right balance of debt, equity, what, what kind of a cost of capital can you afford? It's meant to be a 360 degree partnership relationship as opposed to kind of toe-to-toe -to -toe, um, sort of adversarial relation you know, uh, of, of a uh, capital provider and a capital uh, taker. And you have an interesting threesome backing this or creating the Impact Developers Fund, as I understand it. So True Fund Financial Services is the nonprofit that will actually manage this fund. You all are, you know, obviously the Ford Foundation, a, uh, you know, a charitable foundation, and Morgan Stanley is coming in um, as a major investment bank and source of, source of funding. So... Yep. Talk to us about the challenges and opportunities to put together that kind of a collaboration. Well, the capital we have available, we have, uh, we'll have roughly $1 billion from the endowment over 10 years. Our program-related investment pool of capital is $280 million um, of total capital, and we've got much of that out in the market. So that doesn't you know, leave us with – we don't have 280 of dry, dry powder. We have um, – up to 200 million total. We know that the magnitude of the challenges we're trying to face doesn't come anywhere close to the need for capital. And so one of the influence strategies involves um, attracting private sector capital to work alongside with us uh, to invest in areas um, where commercial returns can be generated at the same time positive social impact can be generated. So we like public sector, private sector, philanthropic sector uh, collaboration. And uh, we believe this is a perfect um, opportunity for all those forces to come together to advance the common good. 
So, Roy, you've mentioned some of these just extraordinary disparities in in wealth and in the flow of capital. I think, you know, the number is less than 1% of venture capital goes to black founders. Uh, The number um, of, uh, you know, black and uh, and, uh, black people and other people of of color who are, um, you know, in management positions with with funds and venture capital, private equity is, you know, tiny. Uh, I'm looking at this. uh, I believe these are the latest Census Bureau statistics on household wealth where the, the median, not the mean, the median uh, wealth for white non-Hispanic households in the United States was uh, $143,600. And for black households, it's $12,920. So you know, white households, 11 times richer than black households. What in this time when there's so much attention to racial disparities, so much attention to systemic racism, you have large corporations, investors saying, we're, you know, we're, we're committing to doing better. It's Comcast, it's AOL, it's SoftBank, it's others. You know, if you could wave a magic wand, if you could give advice to guide practice to actually make a difference and move beyond lip service and to really move the needle on, uh, you know, on moving development, moving investment, investing in, in founders of color. What's the advice you would give about how to do that? Wow. That, that is a, um, um, there are so many different ways to answer that question. Um, so, so let me start with what I'm, uh, what I'm trying to do with our immediate work and uh, then think about some of the bigger picture um, places where uh, I don't yet have, I may not have access. So um, the, the first step is really one of acknowledgement and to help um, uh, for those who are of like mind um, to help them recognize that um, you are right in your gut that something's wrong. And you're also um, right that, yes, you can do something about it. And it's a matter of intention and will. And it's at that point you're able to help people with a roadmap. Look, here's what the Ford Foundation did. You know, there could be other uh, examples out there. And it's about getting people from thinking to bias for action. Um, And it's also about getting beyond token gestures to substantive um, and meaningful um, commitments. So um, what, is, what is the right number that corporations should be thinking about when they think about the types of um, uh, gestures? Well, one way to help you size that is to help you understand the size of the disparity. and um, it's helpful to understand the history of the disparity. Um, so to take a really simple example, uh, Bob Johnson, who is the uh, one of the co-founders of one of the most successful black businesses in the country, BET, he did a really simple analysis. And he said, listen, the cumulative effect of all the wealth transfers and um, and I'll add to that the compound 
the power of compounding when applied to those wealth transfers going back, you know, hundreds of years, including at the end of slavery, it wasn't the slaves that got reparations, it was the white slave owners that got reparations. It was the programs throughout, you know, the 20th century where uh, they were oftentimes specifically designed to exclude Black people, mm-hmm. uh, on and on and on. So he said, okay, the difference between Black wealth and white wealth is roughly $14 trillion, $13, $14 trillion. When you add to that the $9.5 trillion in uh, capital deficit from money that's in the investment management uh, sector, then you get to 23-ish, 24-ish trillion. And that doesn't even include the disparities in the banking sector. I mentioned the SBA, U.S. Small Business Administration loan disparities there. Could be 30 trillion. So so if if you think about the magnitude of the problem, and then you think about we're going to make a $1 million contribution to some organization, that one million may not seem as large as it did before you understood the magnitude of the problem. That's one. From from, from a policy perspective, um, we have other challenges because the concept of race-targeted assistance is so polarizing that it makes it very difficult um, to, to get some traction. So there, it's a matter of helping people understand how does helping the least well-off among us help us all? People in power and people who have money don't give up power or money easily. So it's sort of so what's in it for them? And I think when you look at the protests um, uh, and you think about the costs related to um, maintaining and preserving a system of inequality and discrimination, um, those are costs that we don't have to bear. And there's plenty of opportunity. Even former Confederate soldiers said uh, when slaves weren't given reparations, they said, well, why don't we just give the slaves reparations? It'll help the entire economy. So so we have to do a better job of helping people understand it's not just someone getting something at your expense. It is a, um, you know, we have a, if we have a belief in morals and a belief in, um, um, helping the robbed, not just the robber, to borrow from Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail, then we have to understand that actions can be taken to help make things right, not using as an excuse that things that weren't right happened in the past. That's not it at all, because as we know, it's still happening today. But even further, the longer ago the robbery took place, the more value there is in the whatever was taken from you. So there's a compounding effect that contributes to the widening wealth gap. It's not by accident that the wealth gap keeps growing. It's the value of owning assets that were given oftentimes through U.S. government wealth transfers that has contributed to the wealth gap. And then the inheritance laws and different tax treatment on and on and on. It's very complicated. And one of the hard things, I think, is to try to simplify that to appeal to um, um, people in a way that um, you minimize polarization when you're trying to do something that's morally right. 
Let me just ask a, a final question, if I if I can. I, you know, you've um, drawn attention to this long, horrid history in this this country, and I think that you know, it's we are starting perhaps to see more people um, and more white people understanding some of this history and understanding. You know, as you say, this long, this long history, I, th I think of the, the video that's gone viral. And I don't remember the woman's name who who had this you know fantastic uh, metaphor of playing playing Monopoly and being cheated out of the, uh, your every turn of Monopoly, you know, for for 10 years, for 20 years, for 400 rounds of Monopoly. And then you're being asked to compete. Um, so you've, you've driven attention to this this tremendous need, this tremendous history uh, and and I'm wondering if you know if you turn to okay, we'll do what? And you know if there are investors and if you're looking at people like I, I one of my concerns and things I hear is yes, 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 we must make a difference. We must invest in in diverse fund managers. We must channel uh, you know uh, investment capital to black founders. The problem is the pipeline. We can't find people. We can't find investors. We can't find, you know, worthy, worthy investment opportunities. Can you speak as we wrap up to, you know, your experience and how one finds the pipeline and over and overcomes this argument? Yeah. So um, there is a litany of whatabouts or um, mm. uh, I don't want to say excuses but maybe I will use that word excuse um, that somehow when you don't want to do something, you can find um, justifications, right? Similarly, when you want to do something, you can find justifications. And I think, um, um, so it, it, it used to be um, performance is a problem. And after several decades of that being corrected, um, it, 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 it goes into pipe, whatever. Um, in three years, we basically um, made 31 of our 37 investments in diverse firms. And um, but guess what? The head of the Ford Foundation's mission investment programs is an African American male. That's relevant because a recent statistic. Showed that I think you know seventy was seventy five percent of of white people don't have a single black person in their uh, friend network or in their social network. So um, if 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 you if you actually want to make um, uh, if you want to make an investment and you don't know what to do, you can call me. Um, there are firms out there that have been uh, there's a fund of funds, Fairview Capital Partners. Um, that um, has been been out there for some time. Um, there are plenty of academics that have done research and have lists of these these firms. So um, there there there's there's plenty to do. Um, but it's also um, I understand that if, if you don't have any if you don't have a network and this is how things perpetuate if you don't have a network outside of your own. Um, sort of homogenous group, it, it it is a it is a challenge, and so um, it it it's hard. You know, it just you have to have again. It's about intentionality. So if you really, for, for someone who is an investor, 
and can deal with the complexity of making investments, it, it, it seems odd that they would have trouble finding diverse managers. Yeah. So um, um, it's possible, but it just seems to me to be odd because if I want to do something, I try to, I, you know, I really work hard to figure out how to get it done. And I call as many people as I can. I'm fortunate that I have an extremely diverse network. Uh, excuse me, net, net, uh, network. Yeah. Um, so, um, so yeah, I'm happy. To, and and there, there's plenty of resources out there. You just have to, you just have to look for them. So Roy, well, thank you so much for, for talking with us. Thank you for your insights. And, um, you know, I, I hope we're not looking at what it's the 1960s to today is you know, 60 years. I hope in 60 years, we uh, this looks like a really distant history and we've seen a very different change in, in wealth and asset managers and where investments are going in this country. And, you know, thank you for the work that you're you're doing to make that happen within the Ford Foundation. From your lips to God's ears, thanks uh, very much for the opportunity. Dollars and Change is brought to you by the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. To learn more, visit us at socialimpact.wharton.upenn.edu.